Welcome to Automate, Delegate, Eliminate, where we discuss e-commerce issues and whether our guests today automated, delegated, or eliminated them and why. Your host is Will Christensen, co-founder of Data Automation. And again, welcome to Automate, Delegate, Eliminate. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Automate, Delegate, Eliminate. I'm really excited about today's episode. I'm your host, Will Christensen from Data Automation. I have Greg Elfrink here with us today from Empire Flippers. He is the director of marketing there. I'm honestly super excited to get into some of the processes. Greg and I met on a Survive and Thrive conference uh, or summit, shall we call it, that Danny Carlson put together in like two weeks. And we both had a, a very short period of time to prepare for that conference in the middle of this COVID-19 craziness. We're recording. It's 4-27-2020. So for anybody who's listening and it's you know now 2021 or 2022 you can remember back to to those times we're still in quarantine we're still a month out from being let go of quarantine in the United States so there's going to be some of those pieces of this episode that'll speak to that but let, let me get into who Greg is so Greg is the director of marketing at Empire Flippers as I've mentioned already he manages everything from content to marketing automation to vision and goal setting, um, all the way down to implementation. So he's he wears the big hats and the little hats, everything in between. His big goal is to take Empire Flippers to becoming more mainstream in the M&A market or to becoming an, an M&A brand um, and to help investors see the power of digital assets um, while helping sellers have life-changing exits. So we're super excited to have you here, Greg. Yeah, I'm glad to be here, Will. Thank you so much for coming on, or for me, for letting me come on, rather. <laughs> yeah, no, no. And and later, you can totally invite me onto your podcast. We can make that a, a, a reality. So, um, no, super excited to have you here. I'm excited to talk through some uh, automation, delegation, and or elimination. Um, and I guess first things first, I'd love to hear a little bit more about where you come from. How did you end up at Empire Flippers? Tell us a little bit about how you came to be where you are. Yeah, sure. I'll try to keep it short because my story can be quite long depending on how I tell it. But, you know, I started off my working life like most internet marketers, I, I would say. Uh, I was an oil rig roughneck in, you know, northern Arctic Circle off of uh, the north coast of Alaska. Uh, I absolutely hated what I was doing and I was trying to get out. I bought all these courses. I was learning all sorts of different internet marketing stuff. And I'd kind of given up actually at the uh, making it work after years of trying when, you know, I had this opportunity came to me about Empire Flippers. I, I had tried to work at a bunch of different marketing agencies and usually, you know, no one would even look at me. And I thought EF was going to be pretty similar. I just threw my hat into the ring and, you know, lo and behold, I, I got the job as a content manager or rather back then it was uh, an apprenticeship program that we had where, you know, you'd learn the business upfront and, you know, close with the, with the founders. And I quit my oil job and moved out to Vietnam. We're a complete 100% remote team. And at the time, my co-founders were living in Vietnam. So I came out there for training. And I've now been with the company for about four years. I was employee number four or five, depending on how you look at it. Because one other guy got hired with me. And uh, now I went from the apprentice to more or less the head of marketing, the director of marketing here at EF. So I've been with the company for about four years. It's been a wild ride. I absolutely been loving what we get to do. And 
uh, what you said at the intro, uh, you know, I, I, I find, you know, real, what's the word, uh, enthusiasm, I guess, for uh, and passion for what we get to do every day at EF, because some of these exits that sellers get to make truly are life-changing. And some of the stuff that the buyers get to do once they buy the business can also be very life-changing. We had a customer not too long ago, they bought an e-commerce business from us and that, you know, allowed them to quit their job, stay home with their kid and just have a lot more family time. And uh, life-changing exits can be just as dramatic, you know? So yeah, that, that's my story, more or less in a nutshell. I love it. I love it. Yeah, it's it's amazing how often when you're chasing your dream, it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort before something actually turns out. And and it's interesting that you mentioned that idea of an apprenticeship. The first opportunity that I got to work in a space out of college and, and everything was an apprenticeship as well. They called it an unpaid internship at first. <laughs> And I got in there and and pretty quickly impressed them to the point where they brought me on as a as an assistant, a digital media buyer assistant. So my background is in marketing as well. And then, you know, since I've shifted over to, to automation and more development and whatnot, but I totally hear you on the role of, you know, wanting to make a shift, being willing to make the sacrifice to make that shift and then getting where you needed to go. So I know what that's like. Yeah, it can be tough for some people to make that shift, but man, I I spent close to a decade in the oil field, and I'm first of all, I'm not very good with tools, and that is an industry you should probably be good at with tools. I, I still remember my boss at Halliburton right when I got hired or about to get hired in the interview. I was like. So I just learned what a crescent wrench was a few months ago. Is that going to be okay? And he's like, "Don't worry, we'll teach you the Halliburton way." <laughs> like, okay, uh, you must be real desperate for people right now. <laughs> <laughs> I just so I, I just figured out what a crescent wrench is. Is that a problem? <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I, it was it was a great experience. I, I never want to do it again necessarily, but I have a, a lot of great stories from it. But much much more thrilled I was able to transfer to a different career. Well, on another on another podcast in another time, that's what I'll do. I'll, I'll do a podcast, you know, the the Dirty Jobs uh, TV <laughs> show where they go in and like the whole episode is about like all the crazy things that people have to do. someday I'm gonna I'm gonna do an, a season of this podcast where I just go out and interview people on the weird and or completely you know different industries you know, a little taste of everybody's industry where, where they got they got into something that was like, oh, yeah, you want to hear about a different world? Let me tell you about working <laughs> in the oil industry. <laughs> oh, man, I, if you ever watch uh, Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, he does a piece on the oil field. I actually worked in North Dakota at the time when he gave that piece, and it's pretty accurate. <laughs> so if you ever want to taste solid. of it, yeah. There you go. Go, go check that out. All right, well, jumping in today, what I'm looking for as we get in there, we're going to talk about some specific processes that you either automated, delegated, or eliminated. Can you tell us, and I know you mentioned, you know, just before we started recording that you had several in mind. And so you've got me all sorts of curious. Have you landed on one yet for what we're going to talk about today? Oh, man, it's still a tough choice. Uh, you know, in what I do, I've always kept my team pretty small. And our, our company as a whole has grown so dramatically that we lean towards automation, right? Automation is always the first thing that we lean towards. And then it's followed by, you know, the rest of other two uh, lines of this podcast, delegation and elimination. Sometimes you can't automate it and sometimes you don't even need it. So why are you doing it, right? So we've automated everything from marketing funnels, uh, various sales funnels, outreach, even podcast outreach. We've delegated with that and we've done different 
types of eliminations, not like a whole process, but eliminated and tweaked certain parts of it. So I guess the process I'll go on, I think this would be relevant for most e-commerce and really entrepreneurs in any business model is, uh, you know, how to automate your content marketing better because there's all sorts of cool things you can do. And this is usually feels like a thing you can't really automate. And there's some truth to that, but you can combine automation and delegation to create a pretty good effect. Beautiful. I love it. Content marketing is a powerful piece of any of any marketer's mix. Once you get your business to a point where it can handle and, and needs to, you know, you, you get it to the point where the business can actually handle, you know, executing on the different things that are there, then you've got to get it to the point where the lead flow starts to build. Content marketing is a fantastic way to do that. So I am really excited to hear a little bit about this. So we ask three questions about any process here at Data Automation when we're looking to automate, delegate, or eliminate. And these three questions kind of go around this. So uh, we ask, where's the data now? Where does it need to go? And what happens to it in between? And so when I say data, you can obviously substitute whichever thing or widget it is that we're talking about. But I'm curious. So as you're as you're talking about automating the content marketing process, where is the data now? Let's talk about pre-automation. What did the process look like? And and we're going to talk about where the origins of some of the different data pieces that we're talking about, where, where were they? So let's start that. What does the process look like? Sure. So pre-automation, this was before I really had a team and I, I had just gotten hired. I was doing it all, right? So I was writing blog posts. I was using uh, SEO tools like Ahrefs to find keywords for me to go after. I was writing the actual content. I was also doing things called seller interviews, where basically I interview every single seller that came onto the Empire Flippers Marketplace, more or less. And, you know, that took a lot of time, too. We would upload them to YouTube and all sorts of different stuff. So I was all over the place and I was writing guest posts for different publications and different media sites and magazines and going to conferences, which is something I like to call dark content, which dark content is just this. I don't know if anyone else has ever talked about it this way, but the way I refer to it is dark content, at least which is where you're at a conference, say, and you're giving you know, a conversation at your booth, or maybe you're giving a small speech, but the speech isn't recorded. So basically, after you're done delivering that content, it's just gone. It's dark because no one else has access to it, except for who was there at that right moment at the right time, right? So I was doing all these things. And that was the process. And it's just, you know, you can't scale that you can't scale someone doing all these things all the time, right? So that was the beginning of it all. So that's interesting. I mean, I like that idea of dark content. I think there's sometimes where we're looking at what I would call dark processes, situations where in a business you start to work on something and you don't record the steps. I know a lot of times as I've been helping scale or grow different businesses, you don't record you know, how to do X, Y, or Z. And I've discovered that in business, if you don't record how it's done, even in the manual way, right? Even in the first two or three times, First time, it has to be figured out generally. Somebody has to go in and just say, okay, end goal is to have a website up. The way we do that is buy a domain name, get some hosting, install WordPress or whatever platform you're going to do and you kind of get there. Well, after it's been figured out, I find that it's quite difficult to go back, document that process. But I found that if you don't document that process, you're probably looking at a dark process. I'm totally coining that. No, I like I like your idea <laughs> of the, the dark content here. So I stole, I stole it from the dark internet. <laughs> there we go. It's, you stole it from the dark internet. I stole it from you. So, so that that idea of that dark process, it is no, it is not a repeatable process. It is not 
shall we say, delegatable until it's documented. And so so I love what you were talking about there. You're like, this is dark content. It's content. You gave this beautiful speech, this beautiful pitch to that individual who was at your booth at Prosper Show or at IRCE. And nobody's going to hear that again because it's gone. You've given that to that individual. And until you document, okay, here's the bullet points around that. It's not even delegatable. It's, it's totally in your head. For sure. I, it, this is something that I, I tell my team, my marketing team that I have now, and always surprises them. So when they come on board, I'm doing training with them. I go pretty deep into content marketing because that's my background as a marketer. And that's really how we built EF this on the back of content. So we became, you know, such a huge marketplace, one of the number, actually, we are the number one now in the world in terms of curated businesses for sale. But I always tell them who makes the most content in any organization or company. And most people will say, well, obviously, the person who's writing the blog, but that's not actually true. And when they find that out, they're like, well, the marketing team, right, we're creating all the ads, you were doing all this stuff, like, also, that's not true. Usually in most organizations who's creating the most content are your sales team. They make about 45 to 55% of all content and marketing usually makes about 30%. Now, you never hear that because all their content they're making is, again, that dark content. They're on the phone call giving nuggets of wisdom to an investor looking at buying a $2 million business and they're giving them real good, solid advice, real good content. But no one else will ever hear that content because, again, it's dark. Right. And so part of my job as a content marketer and director of marketing is taking that dark content that is being produced across the organization and bring it to the light. So that way, when that salesperson gets asked that question again, and it might be their millionth time, instead of them having to waste 30 minutes, well, not waste, but you have to spend 30 minutes of productivity time explaining this dark content again, now they can just share a blog post or a video or a podcast that answers that question for that person. And so they can focus their time on more uh, productive uses of their time that with using my content as leverage in their own jobs. Love that. I love, I love the idea that it's almost the automation of explanation, right? Like, like, I what like that. What What is content marketing? It is the automation of knowledge, uh, the automation of explanation. So we're taking that answer, that FAQ, right, so to speak. Well, which business would be the best to buy right now, considering, you know, everything that's going on in the market? And I would imagine that when coronavirus hit, you got that question a lot. Like, well, okay, which are the best businesses to be looking at right now because of all of this craziness? And that investor was asking that same question. And so if you were to take that across all of the business, that one question, it's happening over and over and over again. And if you can get that answered, like you said, in a podcast or in a blog post or one of those other places, then the rep can spend two minutes saying, oh, the short answer to your question is, these are the types of businesses you should be looking at. Because I, I had that question already. I took it to our founders. And this is what they told me. The long answer to your question is check out this blog post that we wrote that actually answers that exact question. Yeah, exactly. It's incredibly helpful and it give, it frees up other aspects of your team when, when you do it this way. And in fact, with the coronavirus thing, obviously that was a big impact on us. You know, we're the largest marketplace that sells e-commerce businesses in the world, right? In terms of curated where we actually vet the businesses. So yeah, that was a big hit. And then Amazon, like not allowing essentials coming into the or non-essentials rather coming into the warehouse. And, and then we also sell content sites, right? Affiliate sites, Amazon then slash affiliate commissions across the board. So there was a, a lot of stuff like three way punch of us, you know, having a message and talking to people and content is just the easiest way, in my opinion, to get a message out at scale. 
So tell me a little bit about that. You know, I totally understand what we're going at here in terms of what the process is. We're looking at how to answer questions, disseminate information in an automated way, i.e. content marketing. So answering that first question, where's the data now? It's in your head. It's, you know, it, it is, it's in the head of the founder, right? We're looking at that founder knows the best way to handle said situation, but it's just in their head. And until we put that information on paper or we put that information in a place where it can be used, it's just not going anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and there's all there's there's a lot more aspects. So I'm sure we'll get into it. But like another thing about that automation is how can I you know leverage myself to produce more content in the same amount of time, right? And that's one of the keys of doing good content marketing is both the plan. How does the plan help you in terms of what kind of leverage you get, and how can you speed up that plan? I love it. I love it. So to answer that question in terms of where's the data now, where does it need to go? What happens to it in between? Where's the data now? It's in your head. You know, where's the content now? It's in your head. Where does it need to go? Onto a blog post. And really actually not onto a blog post. Where does it need to go? Into the heads of your customer, right? Into the heads of your potential buyers, into the heads of the potential sellers. Um, what happens to it in between? Well, it gets processed in the form of a blog, gets processed in the form of a podcast, gets processed in the form of a video that's put out on YouTube. So this content really is knowledge and the knowledge transfers from your head over to their head. And what happens to it in between? It's being processed in, in a blog or, or some other format that is repeatable and then automated as it gets pushed out there. I love that. Love that, love that, love that. Okay, so I want to get into more of that process and understand where you go. When you went in, did you decide that it was best to automate, delegate, or eliminate this process of content dissemination? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I'm a marketer at heart, right? So I always lean towards automation as much as I can, because usually automation is also going to give me data. They usually go hand in hand, and that's all very useful. But obviously, with content marketing, there is always going to be, unless there's like a super AI, which will come probably, you know, sometime in the future, there is always going to be some kind of manual process of it, right? Someone has to create the content. But that doesn't mean you can't create processes on how you create content to speed that process up dramatically and then you give that process to your team and then suddenly they also have the tools to be able to produce content fast and nimbly so that's all that all goes into it interesting so i mean one of the things that data automation is doing right now we're doing it literally right now we are creating a process whereby our content gets created in a very systematic way you know we're, we're on this podcast right now it's generating some fantastic content for us and then we're going to disseminate that content out to our listeners and out to our audience and that's going to help us with search engine optimization it's going to help us with engagement as as this episode gets pushed out uh, to different individuals we have some processes built in around the podcast where right after this podcast, she's a member of our team that's going in and actually clipping up all of the podcast to make it so that it sounds really good. And then on top of that, we're going to have headliners that are created so that we can push this out into social media and get it pushed out. And so those are all processes that we've created around that. And you mentioned the idea of doing it manually. At Data Automation, one of the rules of automation that we've put out there is that every single thing that we are doing should be done manually five times before we consider automating it. 
I'm curious, it sounds like that may not have been, you know, in the forefront of your mind, but you did mention the the idea that this had been done manually several times before it really started to get it automated. Tell me about, you know, as I as I say that, what does that spark for you? Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I think that is probably a pretty good policy to have. It's not one I, I've consciously thought of, but it's certainly one we've done, right? Like, because you're, you're right, what, what you said earlier, like when you're creating a process, like you have to dream it up first. And usually when you dream it up, it's not exactly in the best structure because you're just kind of vomiting on paper, right? Like, let's see what this does. And uh, when, when you do it a few times, uh, it's like, okay, well, this part definitely was terrible. I hate doing this part. Well, how can I make this better? So you, I think doing it manually, like what you suggested there, is really good to iterate on the process. And iteration is really always the name of the game. Like when I bring on new hires, I tell them like, look, you're going to be really, really excited. You're going to want to do a bunch of cool things. You're going to see all this opportunity. You know, marketers are dreamers. We always see opportunity everywhere to make things better and all that good stuff, And which is actually a really, really good thing and really powerful thing that marketers do. I always tell them first three months, no matter what you see that can be improved, you know, don't worry about it. Just follow it the way it's supposed to be because I want them to get used to, you know, all the little frustrations that we didn't notice when we built the process. So after that three months, when they understand the business better, then I ask them, how can we improve this process? You, you, you know, you've, you've been living it for three months. You know, what, what do you want to change? What would make things easier? Because we get blinded to our own process, right? You're too close to the words. You don't, you don't see the full picture anymore. So you need that outsider. But you also need the outsider to go through it a few times to really get to know it, to know where the weaknesses are, right? Interesting. So I love the idea of like, hey, go live in these shoes for three months before you decide to go buy a new pair of shoes. <laughs> because, you know, you may not understand why the soles are so thick in your first week. But in week six, you're going to see where you have to run across, you know, a plane of glass and and the soles being that thick are going to protect your feet. But at first, when you were running down that track, you were like, oh, my gosh, these soles are so heavy. Like, why? Why are the soles on these shoes so thick? I think that's it's just powerful to recognize that when you're jumping into the middle of any process, you know, deciding whether or not to automate, delegate or eliminate that process, because because that's really what what we're talking about when we do a process change before you do that, live it. And I think that three month rule is an interesting one, because I would imagine that there's plenty of time to have happen so that they run into that same thing four, five, 10, 15 times so that then when you decide to change the process, you don't miss any of the oddities that come up in, you know, trying to tackle something. That, that's exactly right. So if you're, if I'm running an e-commerce store, maybe it not, maybe it won't be three months, right? Maybe it'd be two weeks. But at Empire Flippers, we have a fairly complex business, right? With a lot of high stake emotions, even when everything goes right, you know, we're talking about life changing exits. Some people walk away from our marketplace becoming a millionaire. And those ideas, like those deals are not simple, right? There's a lot of deal structuring. There's a lot of things going on and behind the scenes for it to make that happen. So that's why it's such a long period before I allow them to touch something because you know, it has a lot of ramifications down the line. So I want to make sure that they understand the industry we're in and the business we're in before I really give them any kind of keys to the car, so to speak. But in other businesses where your, you know, your uh, life cycle to get the, your, or your sales cycle rather is much shorter, you could probably speed that up with two to three weeks and give them, you know, the ability to change the process or improve or something like that. So it all, it all depends on the complexity too, is, is part of the uh, equation. 
Yeah, I love that. I love that. When you're talking about the analogy of, of giving them the keys to the car, my brain immediately jumped to driver's ed. And I was like, okay, how many times, <laughs> how many times do they let you parallel park successfully before they allow you, before they delegate the responsibility of parallel parking to you on your own? Right? Like how, how you know, is it a hundred times? Is it 200 times? Is it three times? And I think that it's it's different for different individuals. But I remember having to go through that painful process. And I think it, it's funny because even though they've taken you through that three or four times, I still know people that have a hard time with parallel parking. I have one of them. Yes. And <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I hate to interrupt you. You bring up parallel parking literally gave me a bit of anxiety when I was thinking back when I was 16 going through driver's ed. Like, God, I hate this. <laughs> I'm from Alaska, you know, wide open spaces. So parallel parking, I mean, we don't get along. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and I think that parallel parking is an interesting analogy for process delegation or automation because you really do have to consider, okay, what is this going to do and how is this going to handle? How do I take this process that should be delegated? Another individual besides the one person who came up with parallel parking to begin with, this should be delegated. And the funny thing is, I thought I heard about a car actually that parallel parks for you. I think I saw that on a commercial recently that, you know, they've come out with these self-driving cars. And, and, and one of the things that they can do is, you know, tell you, okay, now it's time to turn the wheel. So I think it's powerful that even car companies and looking at all of this, it's it's all about automation, delegation or elimination, right? And maybe someday they'll come out with parking stalls that have some sort of thing that, you know, slides out into the road and then you like drive over it and it just sucks you in, right? So instead of now we've completely automated the idea of that and then you get into the car and you somehow tell it like I'm ready to drive again and it pushes you out and then you drive <laughs> off like like I think that it's you know this idea of automation delegation and elimination just surrounds us so I want to shift a little bit here what process do you use when deciding whether or not something should be automated delegated or eliminated so you've mentioned one already is the three month rule right like when guys come in I, I give them three months before they are allowed to automate automate, delegate, or eliminate in the processes they've been given that they can't change anything until then. I'd love to hear about more specifically around automation. What process do you use when deciding to automate? Yeah. So I basically go through a checklist, right? Checklists are like the most useful, annoying things you could ever do to create better processes. Every time there's a, a mistake that happens or, you know, something comes up where like, oh, that shouldn't have been done. I put a checklist in there. So and now my team has to go and do this checklist, which I'm sure they enjoy. But we, it makes less mistakes. This is how pilots fly without really ever having any kind of mistake nowadays. And those are very complex processes. So what I do is I go through this checklist. I ask myself, can I automate this, right? So for example, I automated our marketing funnel. We have a software tool that we created where people can go in and get an automatic valuation of a range of what their business is worth, whether it's $100,000 or $5 million, right? And it's fairly accurate because we actually use real sales data and machine learning. But I know for a fact, depending on who they are, if they're an e-commerce entrepreneur, right? They're going to be speaking a very different language than a SaaS founder. And a SaaS founder is going to be speaking a very different language than someone building Amazon affiliate sites, right? 
So I want to be able to speak to all of these people. So I created an automation inside the valuation tool based off of their business model. They get totally different emails. I'm with a person who has the content site only gets the jargon related to their industry, probably SEO, Amazon affiliate, and e-commerce. I'm talking about SKUs, logistics, you know, all that good stuff and with SaaS code and documentation, right? So I get to speak to all of them at once using automation that I did once, which is marketing automation, right? Classic example, something you can automate pretty easily. If I cannot find a software or tool to do it, then I will look into delegating. And when I look into delegating, I ask, what is the most automated way I can delegate? Because you can delegate to someone that makes everything take 50 times longer, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so you want to you find someone that has the skill or the service where they can do something. Uh, an example of this is one of my second commands. He used to edit all of our seller interview videos. Now, he's become much more important to my organization where I cannot allow him to do that anymore. And we've always struggled to replace this. So I found a productized service that, made, that did video editing. And I thought, okay, this is perfect. We want to go into YouTube as well. And we can scale it up as much as possible, right? Thinking that this will help automate some of that process. The problem with that thinking was every time we submit a new video, we'd have a different editor. And now we have to teach that editor our entire process again. So this isn't working. So instead, we got rid of that and we just went on Upwork. I told him, okay, we want a good, talented person. What would be a good, talented person from Upwork? Let's filter four and a half stars and they've made at least $20,000 on their Upwork account. Now we have a guy that's able to produce all those seller interviews in a quarter of the time of the productized service. He might be even faster than my guy who originally created that program. And now he's also starting to edit some of our Talking Head YouTube videos. So this guy, even though he's a one person versus a productized service, that, that delegation actually led to better automation than just you know giving it willy-nilly to anyone. So that that's something to think about too. And of course, if you can't delegate, you should consider eliminating. And a process of that in our content process is, again, tied to seller interviews. We have a, a podcast called Real Money, Real Business. And the unique tagline is, you know, this is a real business because it's for sale in our marketplace. And we probably built the profit and loss statement, which is true for almost all e-commerce businesses on our marketplace. And we know it's a legitimate entrepreneur we're talking to. So we used to only have the best seller interviews go on that. And it was supposed to be like the best nuggets of wisdom and stuff like that. But the issue we started running into is my guy who used to do it, he you know, left to go to pursue another opportunity and you know left on good terms and everything. But as we were handing it over, I noticed that, okay, there's no new episodes coming out because it's too difficult to decide what is a good interview. There was no process around it. And it was too difficult. Not, I shouldn't say too difficult, but it, we couldn't dream up of a good process to like say, this is the quality one that should go on the podcast. So what I decided to do instead is like, well, let's make it into a daily style podcast where every business that goes on the marketplace that gets an interview becomes the real, real money, real business. And we rebrand the seller interviews on YouTube to real money, real business. It's all RMRB all the time. And my team was like, well, you know, at first they weren't happy with that because that seems like a lot of work, right? Especially when sometimes you have 19 new businesses going on the marketplace in any given week. So I told them, you know, look, I understand how you feel, but there is much smaller companies that do this all the time. It's not that we can't do it. It's just that we don't know how to do it yet. So we need to do it first. You know, what you mentioned earlier, the five times, right? So now we do it. And now we do publish every seller interview that comes onto that, uh, onto our marketplace as real money, real business. And because we have to do it so often, we got so good 
upload at it, it actually takes less time than what it used to take to just upload to YouTube. And because we publish it daily now, uh, our downloads on that podcast have skyrocketed by like over 400 or 500% of what they normally are. So that eliminated one aspect of that process to make the process much quicker and streamlined, right? So that's like examples from, from my career so far that you have. And we're, we're doing a lot more, of course, that's some of the examples. I love it. I mean, interesting because the hypothesis I might have made when you said, you know, we're going to start doing every single one of these instead of just having just the ones that, that were working, right? Or, or just the ones that were best. Interesting because, you know, I would have guessed, oh, well, the content quality probably went down. And so I bet the listens went down, but that doesn't seem to be the case at all. It seems to be the opposite. So I th I love how sometimes when you decide to take that on and go that direction, the opposite effect happens as to what you originally thought might happen. For sure. And, and but and this is something I, I kind of say quite a bit. I say it in a bunch of different ways, but you know, quality is only good if quality is shared, right? If you have a process where the quality never gets out, you might as well have never have done it, right? So like, if something is taking forever, there's a good chance there's some kind of perfectionism holding you back. And trying to make something perfect is often the killer of great things, right? Not, nothing great is perfect, usually. There's always something wrong or something like that. You know, I listened to a podcast of a guy that literally manages billions of dollars uh, worth of assets, right? Or he has a uh, like a club with a bunch of these like various family offices and institutional uh, money, right? you think he'd be pretty good at production. His podcasts are terribly produced, right? You can hear the wind in the background. He's always stopping and starting. And there's like, you know, you, you'll do these speeches in front of people and the mic always gives out the audio or something like that. You know, they're just terribly produced, but you know, it's still good. Like I'm interested in it. And that's a very similar thing that happened uh, with the seller images, right? Because there's a certain voyeurism of people wanting to know people who become successful, whether or not they're interested in buying the business. Some people listen to that podcast just because they're aspirational. So when they hear someone who maybe they can't speak English very well, or they're super nervous, and they don't sound confident at all, that inspires them because they want to become like that person, right? So even the lower quality, uh, in a sense of those interviews, still served a purpose to our audience, a segment of our audience. And of course, the good ones are still in there now, because they're all in there. So uh, everyone gets a chance to be heard a bit. Interesting. Really, really powerful. And I, I think you may have already shared this. So you, you can kind of decide if you want to repeat it or if you have another piece of wisdom here. What, what would be a piece of parting wisdom that you would have for uh, the entrepreneurs and other listeners that, that are here on our podcast today, those who are interested in automation, delegation, or elimination? Yeah. So it depends on the size of your team. But if you want to pursue content marketing specifically in automation, there's two main things to think about. One is how do you prepare the content? And the second is how do you distribute? Those are the two key components. So in preparation, I'll, I'll be super quick here. The way I do it is I create a brief. It should no, be no longer than a page that talks about the content and the goal of the content and any resources you need to research it. Uh, then comes the outline and the outline should be like an expanded version of the brief. So if you have a bigger team, like a bigger content team, where you have a content manager or Overseeing content specialist, your specialist will create this outline to give to the content manager for the content manager to approve, or vice versa. Should be short. But then as the writer of the content, or even as the video producer, it really depends on your medium, but especially if you're writing it, uh, you create a working outline. A working outline can be super, super long and in detail. You can have tire form sentences in it. And you basically just copy and paste that outline into the Word doc you're actually talking to or writing in. So you're always seeing it as you're writing. And that is going to increase your writing speed dramatically. It will increase your output for the same amount of effort 
And the finally, the distribution thing is worth thinking, how can I make this into a video or a podcast before making it into a blog? Because your leverage goes way up when you do a video or a podcast. Video is the king of leverage. You can do all sorts of different stuff where you can cut that down into different mediums, like what you were talking about earlier, uh, Will, whether it's just you know stripping the audio and turning it into a podcast or getting like snack content from the video, or even turning it into a blog post from the transcript. And the last piece I would say, if you want to create some really great content marketing that you get to automate, you know, in terms of your leverage of what you can do is do research into the data that you have. So many entrepreneurs have such interesting data about their own customers that they never use in their content. And you only need to research it once. So and once you research it and have that data, you can now use it and leverage it throughout all of your content. That is the key, in my opinion, of making really sticky, awesome content marketing is by digging up that research of that you probably already have, which is what I call people sawdust. You might have heard it in my presentation a few weeks ago, Will, but that sawdust people think is just, you know, something they keep internally. It's similar to dark content, but it's actually a byproduct that can be turned into a profit maximizer. For example, we did a, an ROI study on everyone that's bought an affiliate site and e-commerce business from us. Now we have actual data on what the numbers of that return on investment actually was. And, you know, who tripled, who doubled, who lost all their money, right? They thankfully hardly anyone lost all their money. So I was quite concerned when we started doing that research, but uh, it turned out good. And now I can use that research and all those data points and how they grew those businesses over and over and over again in every piece of content I, talk, I, I built, right? So that would be my parting, uh, parting advice. I love it. I love it. I love it. That's, that's, those are some really solid nuggets for, for everyone listening. Listening. Last question here, and I guess I have two last questions, so you can kind of budget accordingly. I've got about four, <laughs> four minutes here, and I forgot to ask you, what's your favorite, what are your favorite pieces of software? And if you just rattle them off and then give me a brief like, oh, I use Marketo for my email marketing, or I use Parda for my email marketing, or HubSpot for my email marketing. If you can just give me uh, some ideas of what are, the, what are the different pieces of software, and then I want to leave you two or three minutes to tell everybody who you are and where they can find you and what specials you guys might be running right now. Sure. So for marketing automation, we use HubSpot. For inner, you know, employee communication, we use Slack. Uh, for most of our documents, we're using Google Drive. And for project management, at least in the marketing team, where the only one who uses it is Monday.com. And there's a lot of cool automations within Monday.com that I've used to, uh, you know, speed up our content planning pretty dramatically uh, from where we used to be. So those are by far the main tools. And of course, I use Facebook a lot to network with people on LinkedIn because I'm addicted to social media. So I'm not sure if that's really an automation or it you know elimination it probably is a time sink for me but i love it so <laughs> people can find me i'm um, pretty easy to get a hold of if you have a question about anything i just talked about and you want more advice i i love helping if i you know if i can help you so feel free to email me greg at empireflippers.com of course if you have any questions about buying or selling online business happy to help you there too obviously that's what i do but other places you can find uh, our content specifically would be empireflippers.com. And you can also connect with me over on LinkedIn. I think my vanity URLs on LinkedIn and Facebook is slash Gregory the writer because I write fiction for fun. So I used to write, uh, if you add me on Facebook, you will see a lot of bad poetry from me, but, uh, but those are the places you can connect with me. Awesome. Well, that's it for our, this episode of Automate, Delegate, Eliminate. We're very excited to have had Greg with us today and a lot of really solid nuggets there around content marketing and what it takes to automate, delegate, or eliminate. That's it for today. You've been listening to Automate, Delegate, Eliminate, hosted by Paul Christensen.